Welcome to the busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living life come together. Here, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to comment on this episode or the podcast in general. To leave a comment, click on the link in the show notes. Because I'm not posting weekly, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast to be informed when a new episode has been posted. You subscribe by tapping on the subscribe or follow button. Each podcast app is different, so if you do not see the follow or subscribe button, a simple Google search about your app that you are using will show you how. If you enjoy this podcast and have benefited from it, I encourage you to start donating a few dollars to the General Missionary Fund each month. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Michael Kennedy, the president of the Joseph Smith Jr. and Hema Hale Smith Historical Society. This is a fascinating trip over the years as Michael talks about how he, who was at the time not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, discovered that he is the third great-grandson of Joseph Smith Jr. and the events that led him to become a member of the church. All of this is intermingled with little-known facts about Joseph and Emma. Now, here's Michael. Well, Michael, welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy to be here in your home, and I was greatly impressed. I, I wish the audience could see it. What I saw about what you have on Family Search there in your living room, very impressive. Um, but uh, let's get started here. Where do you work? What is it you do? I work for Family Search. Uh, I'm a program manager, so that's kind of uh, like a glorified project manager. Uh, I am responsible for a team that uh, has anything to do with your login process to Family Search, and and once you've logged in, the uh, access rights to the different activities that Family Search provides. Uh, in addition to that, Amazon or uh, Family Search sits on top of Amazon Cloud, so the resources that the different compartments or, or different parts of the organization of Family Search utilize for Amazon, I help provide those resources or manage that. Yeah, how long have you been doing that? For about five years now. Um, there was, uh, I've always wanted to work for Family Search because it combines my uh, hobby, the talents uh, that I do with the Joseph Smith family, uh, and my professional. It's always a, a great thing when you can combine those mm -hmm. two to earn an income, but uh, early on, uh, it was prohibited for me to work for Family Search. Uh, when I used to go out and, and do the family history research for the Joseph Smith and Emma's family, mm -hmm. uh, I am working with all the descendants of the Prophet Joseph. Mm. And uh, all of them at that time were, uh, in some degree or another, related to the. Uh, a reorganized church or what they're known as the Community of mm -hmm. Christ today. And 
And so the question invariably had come up when I was doing all that research is, why are you doing this? And uh, if I told them that what I do for a living is uh, family search, then they might not have been as forthcoming yeah. with the information yeah. as it is. And so there were a lot of prejudices early on that I had to overcome. Wow. Now, your training, uh, as far as education, is in computers? I'm self-taught. Um, I s went through uh, uh, Ricks College and BYU uh, in political science. Uh, but I have a talent for computers that the Lord blessed me with. And so my uh, development or infrastructure and coding skills all came from uh, learning uh, as I went, and fortunately I was able to get a career from it. Yeah, and you're of the age um, that you kind of grew up with computer age. You know, you're, you're like me. I, my uh, first computer was when I was bishop, boy, early 1980s, back just about the time the PC came out, the IBM PC oh, came out. We yeah, we started before the PC even came out. Our first computer that I owned was a Franklin 1200. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, it had two floppy drives. I didn't dare get a hard drive because at the time I thought that once I write to the hard drive, I can't erase it or remove it oh, again. Okay. <laughs> and it was too much money to do that. So I had a lot to learn about, uh, about all that, but I'm sort of self-taught. Yeah. Uh, ours was a uh, Apple, I think uh, Apple, but it just had one floppy. It just had one floppy. It's amazing. And uh, I was in the insurance business for 25 years, and once I, I bought a, an IBM PC, and it had a 10, 10 megabyte hard drive, and I was concerned if that would be big enough. And the IT person said, "That's it'll last you a lifetime. <laughs> 10 megabytes." <laughs> I've got on my phone things that are bigger than 10 megabytes. <laughs> so, well, uh, what about your family? Your lovely wife is sitting here enjoying some lunch and... Um, yeah, uh, Darcy and I grew up together in Tonopah, Nevada. She's 31 grandchildren. Part of the Joseph uh, all of our children live within an hour where we're at right now. Oh, wow. So well, that's a blessing. So fortunate that they haven't Yeah, that, that, so. that's, that's a blessing. We have a large room that we sit in here, and it's for a family gathering such as that. So they come over. Uh, they used to come over for uh, once a month for uh, family home evenings. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, I have to describe to the group, you've got quite a collection of Christmas items that are going up here, and you're obviously not done yet. And That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> and we have a Christmas village that's uh, engulfed with... Uh, a train set that goes around it, uh, which surrounds a tr Christmas tree. Yeah, well, uh, I admire you for being able to do it. I, 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 I just see it and I think, wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> but it does bring us a special um, festivity into the, into the home. Well, um, I was asked to contact you because Gracia, who I've interviewed and was in my podcast, um, uh, said you really got to talk to Michael Kennedy 
And you've already uh, talked about it just a little bit of the Joseph Smith uh, organization. So tell me a little bit about it. Um, I'm the president of the Joseph Smith Jr. and Emma Hale Smith Historical Society. Um, the purpose of the Historical Society is to, uh, well, its core, its root, centers uh, in some degree around a Doctrine and Covenants section 109. Uh, as you're probably aware, that's the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. Um, there are three verses, uh, 69 through 70, uh, which uh, Joseph uh, sidesteps a little bit from the discussion of the temple itself and talks about his own family. He mentions in there the prejudices of his family. And today we're well aware, historically speaking, of many of the prejudices that have existed in the Joseph Smith family. The, uh, the polygamy issue, why Emma didn't go west, uh, what happened to Joseph and Emma's children. And so the historical society was to uh, find out exactly what happened and take that knowledge, that information, and uh, bring it public so that the prejudices that is spoken in there are removed. Um, we're not there to uh, encourage uh, people to become members of the Church of Jesus Christ, but the rumors, the traditions uh, that have existed uh, that impact those decisions, we help remove. Uh, so, for instance, uh, the descendants of Joseph and Emma, were there any posterity from uh, the polygamy issue? Uh, and so the Celestial Marriage Covenant uh, was definitely established by Joseph Smith, but uh, there was a discussion about who really were or were not Joseph Smith's children. and so. Uh, I have Joseph Smith's DNA. He's my third great-grandfather. Okay. And so I have his DNA inside of me, which means all of my cousins will have the same similar DNA markers. And anybody who is not uh, a, a cousin of mine will not have those markers. So genetically speaking, if Joseph Smith had posterity from any of the wives, uh, that were sealed to him, and there's somewhere between 30 and 35 women that were sealed to him for time or time and eternity. And um, they would have those markers. And so we were able to establish, genetically speaking, that Joseph Smith did not have any children from that, uh, from any of those women. So. We learned eventually, and I'm sort of taking a long history and making mm -hmm. it very short yes, here, yeah. uh, where Joseph Smith used the Celestial Marriage Covenant for one purpose and Brigham Young used it for another purpose. Uh, we also learned why Emma didn't come west. Um, and part of the core issues there was there was some members of the church who sort of betrayed both Joseph and Emma. And so that is 
one large piece that caused much of the conflict uh, between the two families. Well, you mentioned Doctrine and Covenants 109, and I have it in front of me, and you said verse 68? Uh, yes, yeah, 68 to, to 70. 68 to 70. I'm going to read that. O Lord, remember thy servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and all his afflictions and persecutions, how he has covenanted with Jehovah and vowed to thee, O mighty God of Jacob, and the commandments which thou hast given unto him, that he has sincerely striven to do thy will. Have mercy, O Lord, upon his wife and children, that they may be exalted in thy presence and preserved by the fostering hand, by thy fostering hand. Have mercy upon all their immediate connections, that their prejudices may be broken up and swept away as with a flood, that they may be converted and redeemed with Israel and know that thou art God. What's interesting about that scripture is it was given to Joseph in 1836. You need to realize that uh, as a family man, Joseph Smith's uh, only children at that time was Julia, uh, Joseph Smith III, and Frederick G. William, my forefather, Alexander Hale Smith, was not yet born. And so you only had those three children. They're still infants. They're still pretty much in diapers at that period of time. And yet, it's talking about that in order for his family to be part of the church, the prejudices have to be redeemed for him to be, for them to be converted and redeemed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very powerful statement here as, so, as I read it. The question is, is asked of us a lot. Do you think Joseph Smith uh, knew what was going to happen to his family? And with all of the uh, sacrifices that take place, when we look at church history, we see uh, sacrifices from a lot of different people. And Joseph Smith, uh, who was the founder, was no exception. He, uh, we're aware of everything from the persecution, uh, the tar, the feathering, the Liberty Jail, uh, ultimately uh, to the martyrdom. Um, and Emma didn't go west or make the decision to go west, which made it uh, hard uh, for Joseph Smith's family to be able to participate in many of the blessings of the church. Uh, and particularly the uh, temple blessings that take advantage of the temple ordinances. So here's the founder of the church who's restored all of these ordinances and enabled them. Uh, we've learned that in 1836 when this, uh, when this revelation was received, Joseph Smith's children were just infants. Next time that we become aware that Joseph would have some inclination as to what's going to happen to his family uh, is in the close of 1843. Joseph is busy teaching the ordinances of the temple that he received through Revelation to the Quorum of the Twelve. Uh, you'll notice in history that he doesn't do near the traveling he did before because he's concentrating on teaching the brethren. And he knows he's not going to live long enough to see the completion of the Nauvoo Temple. He has two questions on his mind. One, in the role of president of the church, 
is uh, the keys and the ordinances of the gospel, who and how to pass those on to. Uh, history of the church has proved there has been challenges uh, with people understanding uh, the huge change that the gospel is making from most of the Calvinistic viewpoints of deity at that time. Uh, his wife and all of those to whom he associated, including himself, have to have a completely different change of thought as to who God really is and what his character is. The second question that was on his mind is that once he's taken uh, as a father, what happens to his posterity? And he was told that uh, his family would not only leave the church, they would be instrumental in leading others away from the church, but that would, uh, uh, that would be corrected, but not until after the priesthood was restored to his family line. Well, now, you, I want to go back to the DNA. Um, obviously, there has to be DNA from Joseph Smith himself. Where did that come from? Uh, Originally, uh, we could do a whole discussion on, uh, on, on DNA, uh, but you don't necessarily need uh, DNA from the, the historical person you want to target. Oh, okay. Uh, what you do is you start with, uh, in, for instance, in our case, uh, I am, and I can prove genetically, or not genetically, but geo, uh, genealogically through birth certificates and marriage records and so forth, that I am the third great-grandson of the Prophet Joseph by tying in there. That's uh, a given. So you take my DNA, and then you compare my DNA with all of my cousins, and you look for similar markers. and. Uh, the Y chromosome is one we started with by then, which goes back, uh, you know, 20 some odd generations very accurately. And Joseph is far less than that. Uh, and so every generation, there are some mutations that take place. So you can pretty much get an idea of the generational boundaries uh, that take place. But we were able to identify through my DNA and that of my cousins what Joseph Smith's DNA. So if Joseph Smith was standing next to us and we took a mouth swab from him, we would know genetically no more than we do now. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, DNA, um, I always like to attend um, Roots Tech. I always enjoy it. Uh, in fact, I had the honor of being a speaker this last year. Um, but I've gone to the classes on DNA and sometimes it gets pretty complicated. <laughs> Uh, you know, how they describe how these markers work. And, and I, I did learn that it doesn't go all the way back to Adam, for example, you know, an extreme example, because some reason the markers somehow, I guess, as you said, get mutated over time. So it's a reason when people say they've done uh, DNA examples on the Native Americans here, that, you know, they didn't come from the tribe of Israel, you know. And yet, the, yeah, you have to establish the baseline first. Yes. So, in order to do the Native Americans and prove, you'd have to uh, get a single line, for instance, a male line that hasn't changed uh, from one generation to the next, 
uh, genealogically, which we can't do. And uh, uh, in order to create a baseline that you can compare that to something else. And so that's where the problem comes in. Now, you always talk about the Y chromosome. Is that easier to trace back than the X? I, what? It's historically, we've had more science developed under the Y chromosome than the others because it mutates less. Uh, we, when we determined uh, using the Y chromosome that Joseph has no other posterity other than through Emma, it wasn't an and we did that in 2005. In 2016, uh, we used the autosomal DNA, which incorporates the female DNA, and that validated our test in 2005. So we now can say that Joseph does not have posterity uh, to anyone other than Emma using both the, uh, the male and the female uh, DNA. Okay. I've been reading um, Gracia's book on Emma Smith, and um, share with us a little bit. Why did Emma not come, come out west? Uh, there are a variety of reasons, but uh, I think the core was her heart was not set into it. She had her husband was there. She also had extended family that was there. She did not know what was out west. And she knew what she did have. Uh, ultimately, I think the, we put it to you this way, Emma was a very spiritual person. If she was to come west, the spirit would have told her to, but I don't think the spirit did. Uh, and so that strong feeling that you sometimes get that you apply your faith to and action to, you go and do. Um, there were other circumstances um, in play where I mentioned Alman Babbitt. Uh, he used the, uh, let me back up a little bit so that it could be understood better. In that day, women did not have legal rights like they do today. So when Joseph died, uh, not having a will, Emma inherits. Uh, all of Joseph's assets, which include the assets of the church, uh, at least 90% of those assets. Unlike today, uh, the, the way the laws are structured, 90% uh, of a nonprofit organization has to be owned by somebody, and in this case, Joseph. Uh, and the other 10% can be by others. Uh, so Emma is the one who now gets all of the church assets. But as a woman, she's not entitled to make decisions on those assets. She didn't even have the legal right to make decisions as to where her kids go to school. Um, who did have the legal right? It always belonged to the man. And well, the man's but, gone. But Joseph's out of the picture, so who does it? The state now gets to make those oh, two decisions. Okay. Uh, they will assign an administrator, and that administrator will make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And Joseph, or Emma has already been betrayed multiple occasions, and particularly by members of the church. And so her faith was definitely not involved in having somebody uh, whose self-interest wasn't uh, the family interest.
many of them would have the, of their own interest in mind making the decisions that were placed, and that was the case with Alan Babbitt. And so I could go through the whole story or, uh, about the events between uh, Alma Babbitt and Brigham Young and Emma. Uh, but the end result of it was uh, he betrayed both Joseph and uh, Emma, uh, or Brigham Young, thank you, uh, to, line his own, to line his own pockets, financially speaking. And he, he had the aspiration to want to marry her, and he felt rather disgusted by that. Joseph Smith is now dead, and she knows that, uh, recognizes that it's Quorum of the Twelve that makes the decisions uh, regarding the church. Uh, culturally speaking, it was considered a very bad sin to approach women to discuss matters of business. Uh, during that day. But there was such an uh, anti-Mormon and an anti-Joseph Smith sentiment at that time that she was constantly harassed by Joseph Smith's creditors to pay up. And the, uh, all except for Party P. Pratt, the rest of the Quorum of the Twelve were out serving a mission to help Joseph uh, win the presidency of the United States. And they were serving Mr. Missions on the eastern seaboard. Uh, so they were not there to help with these decisions. So her counsel from Par uh, Party P. Pratt was to wait until the brethren returned. But the pressure was so, so intense that it said, we will lose everything if we do wait. Was it in, Joseph Smith was martyred in June of 1844. They didn't return until uh, in September or October. Uh, the brethren is concerned. So that was several months. And so Emma was then forced to go to Carthage, which was the county seat, to sign the probate records. And it's going through that probate process that she inherits all the church assets, including Joseph. There's never any intent on her part to take over the assets uh, to control them. Even once she signed the probate records, she was hoping that that would solve things until the brethren came back and they could make the decisions. And Brigham Young did pay off, before the exodus, the debt that was concerned. Uh, but as the culture was at that time, uh, men did not exactly sit with the women to discuss business affairs. And they did not uh, document much of those, those payments. So when uh, the exodus took place uh, in Brigham Young and uh, 90, some 90 to 85 to 90 percent of the residents of Nauvoo went west, uh, creditors, of course, non-members of the church are now still pressuring Emma to pay the debt. Well, that was being taken care of by Brigham Young. Well, the response back was, no, he didn't pay for any of that. He did, but where's the proof, where's the documentation mm -hmm. for it? Yeah. Well, I was sitting here wondering, um, Emma stayed back there. You're a direct descendant of her. How did your family end up getting out this way? Um, 
my grandfather was a, a traveling salesman, and he ended up uh, selling uh, uh, insurance. But when, but after my dad was born, a year uh, after his birth, my father was killed in an accident, or my grandfather was killed in an accident, and he was uh, here in Salt Lake at the time of that death. Um, his uh, widow uh, ended up living here in, in the Salt Lake for a short period of time until she remarried. Uh, and she married a forest ranger uh, who was assigned uh, to Cedar City to uh, manage the forest uh, that was in that particular area. Uh, and so my father grew up in uh, with the Forest Service in different places uh, uh, in Idaho, uh, parts here in Utah, uh, and those things, and in Nevada. Now, going back to your father, was he a member of the church? No. Uh, I'm the first descendant of the Prophet Joseph Smith to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, there was a uh, prophecy that was told by Joseph Smith to Brigham Young, which can be found in the Journal of Discourses, uh, where uh, Joseph Smith's uh, seed would one day return to the church, but not until after the priesthood was restored to his family line. Well, I'm the one that did that. Uh, and so Joseph Smith's first descendant. Uh, on the records of the church was Joseph Smith III, as his dad baptized him. The next descendant of the prophet on the records of the church is uh, Alice Frederica Smith, who was a granddaughter to the prophet. Uh, and the next descendant of the prophet uh, was Gracia, who you uh, interviewed, and was baptized in 1956. But through all of that, there was no uh, Melchizedek priesthood holder, and that uh, did not occur until my baptism in uh, 1973. Well, now, how did you come to be a member of the church? In uh, 1972, I am a junior in high school, uh, and in my American history class, uh, one day, uh, uh, my American history teacher uh, was giving a course or a discussion on the founding fathers of uh, America. And at the end of the course, or at the end of the series of instructions, she felt that we students would have a greater appreciation of American heritage if in addition to learning about the Founding Fathers, we also learned a little bit about how our own uh, forefathers participated in the development of this country. So we were assigned uh, a Founding Father to write a report on. We were also assigned to write a report on an uh, ancestor of ours that contributed some activity, pioneering or settling or something, uh, to American history. So I took this assignment home to my dad, uh, 
asked for his help. He gave me the name of three individuals he thought had something to do with American history. One of them was this ambiguous uh, name of Joseph Smith. Never heard of him before. And so I asked who he was, and he says, well, he's the founder of the Mormons. I never heard the word Mormons before. So I asked who they were, and he says, well, they're the people who discovered the state of Utah. Well. That's American heritage. And so I picked him, and he left the room and came back and brought me a box of artifacts that had been handed down from one generation to the next since Emma. Told me everything I would need to complete my report was in that box. And so I took the contents out, and there was some journals in there. There was some papers. There were some photographs of uh, Emma and Lucy and the kids. And as I was sorting through them and putting them on the coffee table in front of me, the doorbell rang, and I went and answered it, and there was these two well-dressed gentlemen. One of them introduced himself as uh, Elder Archibald. They said they had a message for the head of the household, so I uh, let them in. Called for my dad to return to the room, but while we were waiting for the, him to return, uh, these two young men noticed the pictures that I had on the table and recognized them as Mother Smith and Emma. Knowing that we were not a member family, he asked us what I was doing. And I told him that he's my third great-grandfather and I'm writing a school report on him. And uh, I got all six discussions before my dad even <laughs> got to the room. I would imagine they were smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> They were pretty excited. Yeah. The missionaries uh, were new to Tonopah. Uh, and I'm talking about the missionaries were new as a whole, not just a set. Uh, I didn't know this until uh, our historical society, uh, Joseph Smith Jr. and Emma Hill Smith Historical Society, produced the movie Emma. Uh, Emma Smith, my story, that was in theaters uh, back in 2008. Um, we're a nonprofit organization, but our nonprofit status was not established at that time. Uh, it was in the process of going through the uh, paperwork that the IRS requires. And so we had to pay the bills still for producing the movie, and the church let us use LDS philanthropy uh, so that the donations could go there. And that was run by a gentleman named uh, McLean Bybee. Well, coincidentally enough, McLean was a counselor in the mission presidency of that mission that those missionaries came to my home in the first place was part of the decision at the time where they didn't have enough missionaries to go to small towns like Tonopah. So he wanted to know how those missionaries got to my home in the first place. So he looked it up in his journal and found that, that Tonopah is halfway between Las Vegas and Reno's four hours either way you go. And occasionally they would have a zone conference there. And some of the missionaries had asked, what would the mission be like in these smaller towns? So they decided to set up an experiment for eight weeks. And they pulled a pair of missionaries from Fallon, Nevada, and sent them to Tonopah just to knock on doors. And after the eight weeks, they closed it down because there was only uh, 
two families that were taking the discussions at that time. And mine was one. And on the south end of town, the only other family was taken uh, was uh, Gene Dodge, who is the father of my wife. <laughs> wow, what, what a connection. Now, did your father join the church? At the time going through the missionary process, uh, no. The missionaries uh, came to my home, but I had a bad experience with another religion a year earlier. And so I avoided them. Uh, and uh, those missionaries went to my uh, girlfriend at the time, Darcy, and convinced her to help me to participate in the discussions again. Hmm. Um, well, she must have been a, a great persuader. So, uh, with that much pressure, I figured I came up with a plan where I said, I will agree to getting baptized. Uh, I hadn't read the Book of Mormon. I haven't even read the pamphlets that they provided. Um, but I would agree to it if they came after I graduated from high school, which is another year away. And uh, so that's where we left them. And at the end of that year, when I graduated from high school, they remembered and came back to see if I was going to live up to my commitment. And so I was baptized. It was shortly after uh, that baptism that my dad placed a phone call to his aunt. It was the same aunt who lived in Independence, Missouri, who had given my dad some 20 years earlier after he was discharged from serving in the Korean War that box of artifacts that I'd used for that American history assignment. And... Uh, visiting with the aunt at the time of that phone call was a gentleman by the name of Buddy Younggreen, who was assigned by President Harold B. Lee to find descendants of mm -hmm. Joseph and Lucy. And uh, after overhearing the conversation, he felt that he would mention it to President Harold B. Lee uh, of my uh, baptism. And President uh, Lee said he wanted to meet with this young man. And so Buddy came to my home and knocked on my door, but it was at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I didn't know him from anyone else. Uh, and, but he did say that uh, President Lee wanted to meet with me. Well, what would happen if a stranger knocked on your door uh, who said that President Richard Nelson wants to meet with you, and if you can go with him to Salt Lake, would what would you think? Uh, I would take the offer. <laughs> yeah, but I've been a member of the church by just almost 30 days. And so uh, I did take the offer because Salt Lake was a halfway point between uh, Cedar City, where I was going to school, and Rexburg, where my girlfriend was going to school. And she started sending me a bunch of Dear John letters. Yeah. Uh, because she wanted me to have the opportunity to date uh, other girls, and she wanted to date other guys. Um, and so I wanted to go there to try to reconcile this. Uh, and so this was a free ride to cover half the distance on a <laughs> student income. Uh, when I arrived to President Lee's, uh, 
We went through the usual familiarities, and then he said, Brother Kennedy, as the third great-grandson to our beloved uh, prophet, tell me what you know of our, uh, Prophet Joseph. The only thing I knew was that report that I was assigned in high school. Uh, I got an A for it. So I told him how Joseph Smith discovered the state of Utah. No. <laughs> uh, that didn't go very well because he <laughs> didn't allow me to complete my presentation. Uh, he asked me to wait there. He had somebody he wanted me to meet. So we left the room, and he returned a few minutes later, and in tow was this new apostle of uh, Elder Bruce R. McConkie. And uh, he said, Elder, this young man has been explaining to me how Joseph Smith discovered the state of Utah. What are your impressions? <laughs> he says, well, President, uh, I think we have some issues here. He says, well, can you spend a little time with this young man and cover some of those issues? Well, my discussions began all over again, and not the kind you feel comfortable to ditch out on. Uh, and so uh, I went th through some uh, uh, gospel discussions with uh, Elder McConkie. Then uh, I went on that bus ride uh, from Salt Lake to Rexburg uh, to meet with Darcy. She came into the, uh, uh, picked me up at the bus station, and I expected a handshake, but she gave me this very warm hug. And I thought, ah, oh, opportunity is still here. Yes, it's still, <laughs> still a chance. She took me back to her apartment, and in her apartment there was this row of chairs in a semicircle with one chair facing the semicircle. I figured that one chair was mine because all the others were occupied by her roommate and friends, and they were now grilling me on the best type of person to marry. Uh, <laughs> so you had girl. to kind of go through a, um, an approval process. I did. <laughs> and one of the uh, points that they brought up is that before I get married, I'm supposed to be serving a two-year mission, and I hadn't heard anything about this. So uh, at the end, we agreed to disagree because I they said I made some kind of commitment or covenant to serve a two-year mission, and I didn't. Uh, so I, when I returned to Cedar City, I called up my bishop and said, Bishop, you don't know me, but I'd like to talk to you about uh, serving a two-year mission. And he was excited to see me. Uh, he wanted to see me that very Sunday. And so when I met with him, I explained to him that the experiences I had with my girlfriend and her friends and said, Bishop, I didn't make any such covenant. You told me I made this covenant before I was even born. So I thought, oh man, I just got in some <laughs> kind of weird church. Uh, something was really off. And then he said, Brother Kennedy, would you mind if we, you allow me to ponder this and pray over this for a couple of weeks and invite you back yeah, for another discussion, which I agreed. And then a couple of weeks later, I did get a phone call from his secretary to meet with the bishop. And he said, Brother Kennedy, it's been made known unto me that the Lord does desire that you serve a mission, but you will not be successful in completing the mission the Lord has without the experiences you'll develop in marital life. So it is uh, 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 the will of the Lord that you become an exception and continue your plans to go ahead and get married. Mm. And so I. Uh, left the room and ran all the way to uh, the, the 
apartment that I had and called Darcy up and told her that I had bishops permission to go ahead and get married. She didn't ask for a certified letter from the bishop that... <laughs> no, instead she said the only place that she wanted to get married is in the temple. I said, fine, okay, I don't have a problem with that. And she says, Michael, what's your priesthood? He says, I think they call it a deacon. <laughs> well, you can't go to the temple as a deacon, you have to be advanced in the priesthood. I figured I knew somebody by this point. I had a good relationship, it seems to be, with the bishop. So I said, okay, I think I can fix that. So I called the bishop back, told him that uh, 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 I had a conversation with my girlfriend and that I need to be advanced in the priesthood. He says, Brother Kennedy, we can help you with that. And so I was excited. I was thrilled. I figured this has got to be the best church in the world. The bishop introduced me to his ward, had me stand up in front of the congregation and, and to sustain his decision to advance me in the Aaronic priesthood. Didn't know what any of that was all about, but was su totally surprised that everybody in the audience raised their hands, nobody that I knew. Uh, and then uh, uh, afterwards, um, when I was uh, ordained, um, a new protocol was to shake hands, so I shook hands with all of them uh, uh, quickly and just literally blew out the door and ran all the way back to the apartment called Darcy up and told her that I not only can get married in the temple now, I could do the ceremony myself because they made me a priest. <laughs> That's where I received a lesson about this other priesthood that I was supposed to get called Melchizedek. Melchizedek priesthood. So I called the bishop back and chewed him out for giving me the wrong priesthood that I needed this Melchizedek priesthood. He asked me how long I'd been a member of the church and I said just about three months. He says, well, we usually don't advance you into the priesthood unless you've been a member for a year. And so I just did some name dropping at that time about the meetings I've had with President Lee and President Kimball uh, by this time. And uh, he said that the only way for me to get permission is to have someone higher authority authorize it. And he said, the state business is required the presence of a general authority, and when he arrives, we will. Uh, present your petition to him at that time. And I learned that that was Elder McConkie. I had a good relationship with Elder McConkie, but I also knew kind of how strict he was. And so I suggested that we go find somebody else to ask. <laughs> uh, Elder McConkie came, and that's where he explained uh, to me about the prophecies about Joseph Smith, uh, and that one day the priesthood was referred to the family. So. He authorized me to receive the priesthood, and uh, almost six months later, I was uh, ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood. Boy, that's quite a story. Now, when did you become active uh, in this organization of Joseph Smith and Emma? I need to take a break from the conversation and add some comments so that the remainder of the conversation will make sense. Because of some editing issues, I had to delete a portion of the conversation because I was unable to clean it up, and it would have been very difficult for you to hear his response. After asking Michael when the organization started, he responded, it was in 1985 with Gracia Jones. This is the part that I had to delete. Now, back to the program. So uh, the organization started in 1985 with Gracia. And who else? It was Gracia, her husband, uh, and her mother. 
That was all we had. It was just in our basement at the time. How many members are there now? Uh, well, we have, at the time, there are 18 uh, descendants on the records of the church, which was Gracious Family and my family. Uh, but we have somewhere around 253 mm, okay. uh, descendants now on the records of the church. There was a, uh, I st even though I was uh, baptized, uh, ordained to be, in, uh, to be an elder, uh, to say that I had a testimony uh, would be far from the truth. I, I didn't. I, I really still did not understand who Joseph Smith was. I did not even really understand the Savior. I believed in God, always did. Uh, and I always knew that he was uh, all-knowing, all-controlling, uh, and that this life was a life of an experience for choices, but not much more. Uh, I still had the basic Calvinistic ideals of who God was. Uh, but I had an experience in, uh, on the day that Darcy and I got married. Um, my father was killed in a car accident on his way to our wedding. Wow. It was pretty hard. And I had, to ha and I had a feeling that uh, the experiences that I've gone through with the conversion, the rush for me to get the priesthood, there was more going on than I was aware of. Now, did you know of his death at the time, just before you got married? I received a phone call from the Nevada State Highway Patrol indicating my father was in an accident. This was about uh, four, four and a half hours before the wedding. Okay. Uh, it was uh, a little bit after midnight. And I felt a strong impression that I should continue to go ahead with the wedding and then we would go to Delta, Utah where it was just past Lindell that the accident had occurred and to check in on my mother and my brother who was also part of that accident. Um, it was uh, an 18-wheeler that had a head-on collision with my dad in his uh, pickup truck. Yeah, that's hard to win in that kind of a yeah. accident. Yeah, my goodness, wow. Uh, so uh, knowing that uh, and after being ordained and receiving blessings that the Lord had a purpose for me for gathering the prophet's uh, family and posterity and fulfilling uh, a variety of different uh, revelations that was given to Joseph Smith about his posterity. Uh, I figured that if all this was possible for the third great-grandson, then what about the second great-grandson? Um, it was 10 years of growing in the church, studying the scriptures, uh, that my conversion process evolved. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a line upon line. It was. And during that uh, 10 years, what did, did you serve any church positions? Uh, I managed the ensign. I was an elders quorum president, uh, or counselor in the presidency once, uh, but uh, no role as minor, but it wasn't in, in any real leadership role. Uh, I did spend, I did have a testimony of family history, and so I was involved in computers early on. That's where I got that Franklin 1200 to, okay. to put in uh, my genealogy and store it. Uh, 
when we had to do it on paper with family group sheets and whatnot, you know, you had to write one name multiple times. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> and I just got too tired. I was too impatient for doing that thing, and I decided the computer can do with this yeah. thing, so we developed a program to, yeah. to get around all of that. Well, do you have a, a point in your life uh, as you were growing in the gospel where you can look back and go, that's what, when I finally knew that I had a testimony? Yeah, there is a point. Um, uh, I won't go into details because it's personal uh, mm -hmm. revelation, but uh, in 1984, I received a phone call from President Hinckley. He wanted me to, he was a, uh, uh, the third counselor in President Kimball's presidency and wanted to meet with him in Kirtland, Ohio, where they're about to dedicate the new O.K. Whitney store. Uh, and so he wanted to meet with me. And while meeting with him, he uh, went over the issues the church was facing with the prophet's family. Uh, Wyoming didn't come west, the polygamy issue, who were, were not descendants of the... And he said uh, to me that President Kimball feels that these problems really are not church problems, they're family problems. And he wanted to make them my problems. So he gave me a charge, quote, uh, to create opportunity for the posterity of Joseph and Emma to be receptive to the teachings of the gospel. Uh, put his nose about three inches from mine, if that, and said, Brother Kennedy, there'll be many who want to hear your testimony. I don't want to hear that you've turned any of them down. I had a, a, an appointment to have lunch with him. Uh, and uh, the other brethren at the Johnson farm. And so on the way out there, uh, later that afternoon, I had an experience where it was explained to me how the mission works on both sides of the veil, what happens after we die, and what happened to my father. Uh, all part of the process that the Lord went through Joseph Smith is telling him that the first answer to his question about passing all the keys and the ordinances of the gospel would take care of the second, that he would one day see all, have all of his children have opportunity with the gospel. Um, and so once I got to the Johnson farm, uh, I knew I had a purpose, and part of that purpose was to get serious about studying the gospel of Joseph and Emma uh, and uh, the, the Book of Mormon. It hasn't, uh, I was reading and doing the things you're supposed to be doing because you were supposed to be doing them. But now I'm going to be serious about it. Yeah, there is a difference in reading the scriptures because it's a checkoff list and doing it because you love it and because you want to gain further knowledge. There's a big difference. There is. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> getting to into the scriptures, uh, based upon your background now and as you study the scriptures, um, how has all of this changed on how you even study the scriptures? How, how do you go about it? Well, part of the, my patriarchal blessing says that as I study the scriptures, I would understand their true meaning. Wow. But as you said, it makes a difference to read them as a part of a checkoff list mm -hmm. or to read uh, the real meaning behind it. 
scriptures doesn't change, but its message does change, and that changes because of the circumstances in your life, the experiences that you develop in life. Then you understand the messages that are being said because they're more pertinent to you uh, because of those experiences that you're having. And as long as you're reading the scriptures on a regular basis, then uh, the Lord can speak to you. And I find, at least for me, that he doesn't give me the answers, but he does give me a direction. And having faith uh, to go in that direction, you get the answers. Then I can turn back and look back and say, yes, I prayed on this day for this, and this is what the Lord told me. Whereas when I prayed on that day, I didn't get the answer then. but I had the faith then to proceed on what I was learning in the scriptures. Yes, yeah. I like what you said um, that I was reflecting back with my personal experience. I think I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, I was given direction, and in going that direction, then answers came. Because one thing that was revealed to me recently is that, you know, and I've heard it before, but the Lord's not necessarily going to send down Moroni to give you an answer when um, some scholar in the church or some prophet has already written about it. So what he does is direct you to that that source so that, so that you can read it yourself because uh, it's already down there. Well, this I've really enjoyed this. I, the stories are just absolutely tremendous and how you came into the church and <laughs> I was thinking the whole time when you were when you're telling it going well he didn't quite have a testimony yet but he's getting the priesthood and he's going to marry the temple <laughs> it, it, it's quite a story but it's amazing how our love for somebody wanting to get married um, motivates us <laughs> so well <clears throat> what I'd like to do is um, as I do with all my podcasts is invite you to bear your testimony would you mind doing that? Uh, I've been a member of the church now for uh, nearly 40 plus some years. Um, and so I have a sure testimony, a sure faith, not because all my prayers have been answered. Well, I'm going to take it back. Uh, I've had enough prayers answered to realize that the Lord is there. Uh, Those that aren't answered, I have full expectation that they will be uh, at some point because I have not been uh, led astray. Uh, There has been many questions in the gospel, many things about why Joseph Smith did this or did that, but it boils down to uh, what does that have to do with whether or not uh, Moroni really visited with Joseph? What does it have to do with the actual message in the book that he left behind? Uh, Some of the questions uh, about, for instance, the polygamy issue challenges me as much as I guess it would anybody else. But to throw the gospel away just because of that when, after you've read the Book of Mormon or find the richness that is there, all that tells me is I'd be missing something. Uh, Faith is 
believing in Heavenly Father that He can do what He says He's going to do and provide you with what He has promised to provide you. And having the faith to endure whatever comes your way until that does occur. Joseph Smith, for the first time in my life, gave me the answer as to who I'm praying to. So I'm not praying to some incorporeal being. There is a person that I'm speaking to who understands uh, my heart, my will, and why I'm making the choices that I'm making. And the Lord sometimes allows me to make wrong choices because I need to learn. But I have a testimony because I have learned He has always been there, even through those wrong choices. Uh, I know who I am praying to. I know there are resources available to me to understand what God wants of me. Everything else is just going forward with what Heavenly Father wants me to do. And as long as I'm doing it, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have guilt. I'm not leading the church. I'm not uh, doing anything what you would call extravagant. But I have nothing that I, can sh that I show guilt for. Uh, at least in a major way. But I feel good about the things that I have done because I know that that's what I felt Heavenly Father wants me to do. And that's all I think is necessary.